1980. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Four Collectors. And tonight, we're going to do the 1980s rookie card ranking. And I have a panel of some great guys out there in the community. So, John, hit me with that intro. Welcome to Four Collectors. So to start off, uh, let's, uh, John, let's bring in some people from the panel. All right. We, <laughs> we got, it looks like, uh, who is that? Is that James? Hi guys. Welcome back to four collectors. Didn't expect to see me here. <laughs> Thanks for coming, James. Oh, no, you don't need Jake. that guy. Welcome Jake. And next up we got Greg. Greg, where's your mask? <laughs> I don't, uh, this is the mask. <laughs> And none, none other than Chris from Missouri. He's still not in Club 21. What's up, Chris? <laughs> I'm trying. Hey, good to see you, everybody. <laughs> All right. So um, as we did in the other rankings episodes, if you guys haven't seen them, please go back and check them out. Um, the panel had three ways to rank each card. Uh, eye appeal, quality of career, and hobby importance. So right there, eye appeal, quality of career, and hobby importance. In each category – holds the same weight so um, so that's how we rank them um you know it wouldn't really be a show if we just went by hobby importance which is what a lot of people go off of you would just go all right well this card sells for the most and it's the most rare we we want to figure out what card we feel is the best card of that decade so we we have different categories um and john who's in the background tonight also did the rankings so we actually had five different sets of rankings and we made one overall ranking and these guys here don't know how the, how the overall turned out. So should be a lot of fun. Um, let's get going, guys. So we're going to breeze through. Um, there's 19 cards in the 1980s. Let's breeze through the, the, the number 19 through 11. And then I'll ask you guys if you feel like anybody should have been in the top 10. And then we will, we will take our time with the top 10. So, uh, Chris, you got your cards ready. Jake, you got some cards ready. Yes, sir. All right. And one last thing. <laughs> the 1980s, some of the sets, it's kind of debatable what card you would pick for their rookie card because they had multiple cards that year. We went off of what Jake thought was best, PSA's registry. So so don't blame me. Blame Jake. This is the cards based off of PSA registry, and that's what we're going off of. So, All right. So at number 19, the 1988 Flair Edgar Martinez card, 1988 flyer. Edgar Martinez came in last. So, so I do want to make a comment about this card, guys. I had it as second to worst eye appeal. It looks like he's like in like middle school and he's taking like a picture, like his mom's in the background, like small for the camera. That that picture's horrible. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, all right, at number 18, we got the 1982 tops Lee Smith card. 1982 Topps Lee Smith. And this card actually got 13th overall in eye appeal, and he's not even opening his eyes. So, surprising. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, at number 17, one of uh, Mike's favorites, 1981 Topps Harold Baines. 1981 Topps Harold Baines card. There we go. 
So this this card actually got a 10 on eye appeal. It, it's one of the reasons I think is because it's a solo card. All right, next up at number 16, the 1988 score traded Roberto Alomar. Not the right one. <laughs> there he is. All right. At number 15, the 1988 score traded Craig Biggio. Also not the right one. So Jake, I'm guessing that you don't you don't pick up rookie cards based off of PSA all the time. You kind of go off your own thing. I didn't know CSA was still in business, so I don't know <laughs> who that is. PSA. <laughs> all right, next up, 1981 tops Tim Raines coming in at number 14. Uh oh, Chris, you're backwards and sideways. Yes, I am. <laughs> all right. Next up, ninth at number thirteen overall, the nineteen eighty-seven Flair Barry Larkin. All right, at number twelve, the nineteen eighty-six Don Russ Fred McGriff, new Hall of Famer. There, nice. All we right, we didn't all have that one. It'd be a crime, dog. <laughs> and at number 11 the 1988 score Tom Glavin looks like uh, looks like a fireball coming out of his arm there so so that was number 11 so the one comment I want to make before you guys tell me what card you think maybe should have been in the top 10 or what player is um, Jake you might get kicked off the panel next, next rankings you had the you had Tom Glavin as the fifth best career. Please explain. Please explain this. I cannot wait to hear this. This is, this is homerism at its best right here. Let's go. Oh, I'm far from a Braves homer. I don't even think Dale Murphy should be a Hall of Famer. But right. we've talked about this before when I've been on here. So you guys are going to be like, oh, I should have known. 300 game winner. It, to me, that milestone means a lot. It vaults him above a lot of other people. He also happens to be part of the greatest rotation of all time, um, aside from his own individual accomplishments with Cy Youngs and so on and so forth. So, Jake, I, I have a question, and I'm glad, and I saved it just for you. On that rotation, because when I filled this out, I didn't even take a look at war uh, as far as, uh, as far as you know, the player goes. Um, but was I thought he was, when, when they had the great rotation – he was the number third man in that rotation behind Smoltz. I, I did. I, I, I thought it went Maddox, Smoltz, and then Glavin, and then and then uh, then Smoltz, you know, decided or decided to help the team by becoming a closer. And I, I I'm serious about that question. And that when I put that when I filled out my list, I had I had uh, Smoltz four players above Glavin, and. Uh, then when I went back to look, I, I called John and I asked John, I said, okay, why don't you change that for me? Uh, and I moved him above Smoltz. But you, uh, can, you, can you tell me that? Wasn't he the third man in that rotation? Granted, I'm a lot younger than you guys, so my eye test on that, I mean, I was born in 1991, so that tells you I was born the beginning of the worst to first run for the Braves. So this so is my underwear. 
but you know, I was 10 years old or less during the majority of that run. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Smolt being what the only pitcher with 200 wins and uh, I think it's 150 saves, or maybe it's him and Eckersley. I don't remember exactly that statistic, but typically outside of people talking about those two guys, saves are way undervalued outside of Mariano Rivera. Uh, we see that from how they get in the hall of fame. Billy Wagner's still not in, um, has been trying to get in for forever. And by many people, he's considered to be the greatest left-handed closer of all time. So to me, because Glavin was a starter the whole time and he did reach the pinnacle of 300 wins, maybe it's my perception of him and what I just happened to remember. Um, and that big 300 number, that's why I have Glavin ahead of Smoltz. Okay, but the only reason Smoltz went to be the closer is he's the only one of those three that had closer stuff. Stuff, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so he was – he sacrificed his win total mm-hmm. to, to help them as a team to achieve that. And he uh, he was – his arc was going to be better than – his arc was better than Glavin's, I thought. That's why I had, that's why I had Smoltz three or four, but then three or four rows higher. But I, when I looked at the, when I looked at the, you know, the war, and I knew, I knew Glavin had three hundred wins. I, you know, I knew he, I knew he had that, but uh, I just always thought Smoltz was a better pitcher, and I always, I thought Braves fans viewed it that way as well. I think Maddox is the clear one. I don't think anybody argues that. Um, Glavin Smoltz may be debatable, but I, I always viewed Glavin as, as two in that rotation. But I mean, all those guys, dominant, dominant. So, yeah, um, I think uh, I think Jake brings up a good point though about the Hall of Fame and closers. And you know, I think maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think the worst stat actually hurts the closer because I I actually think people do look at the worst stat and in closers it's very hard to move up in WAR. Um, but you can also look at the other side of the coin. They're they're playing one inning, um, so it's like it's like they're not playing much of the game, but they're playing the most important part of the game. And this other player is playing all nine innings. So I mean, do you guys? I mean, quickly, do you guys think that closers should more closers should get in the Hall of Fame? It's actually kind of unfair how they're treated. Well, I don't I don't know if they're I don't know if they're treated poorly. It wins above replacement is wins against somebody, you know, somebody of that position um, that comes in. I'm just, I think they're, I'm thinking more major league baseball teams on a good, on a certain year, especially in the eighties and nineties had good relievers. Everybody, you know, had a good, uh, a good number uh, one inning closer, you know? So I think it's, I think it's hard to tally up because the, the the definition of war, I think. Yeah. But I could be off then, you know. I could, I could see what you mean there. That makes some sense. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the top ten. Um, was there anybody below the top ten that you guys are passionate that should have been in the top ten? Because I, I didn't see anything there. But Chris, you have something? Before we move on to, to, to something – I want to speak of the Harold Baines card. Where did okay. where did everybody have where did everybody have it as importance to the hobby? Because I I thought about this and then I thought, no, nah, I'm going to sound like a I'm going to sound like the kid get picked last at, in kickball at recess. 
Um, <laughs> so, so, so you had it 11. Um, Greg had it 19 and Jake had it 16 and, so, and uh, John had it 18. Okay. So here's why I had it as high as I did. Yeah. That card is talked about a lot. My man, I mean, that card is discussed <laughs> more than the John Smoltz card. It's discussed in the hobby. You, you know, it's discussed on YouTube as much as any card on here. Uh, uh, he is because there's all kinds of talks about Hall of Fame and people telling us that he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, which I, I don't think he, I think there's plenty of guys should be ahead of him in the Hall of Fame. But that he is discussed a lot in the hobby. Yeah. That's yeah. I almost put him way higher for the exact same reason. An interesting point, uh, but, Chris. We're, but, but wait, we're, wait a second. Wait good. a second. It, <laughs> if we, it's not just about how often a card is discussed. Because in that case, the Billy Ripken card should be. I mean, Billy Ripken should be in the Hall of Fame, and the Billy Ripken card should be number one. You He's know, not a Hall of Famer. Like, but if he was a Hall of, you know, what, was, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but what I'm saying is Famer. importance to the hobby. If we did importance to the hobby right now, I don't. I mean, I. I agree. Just because a card is talked about a lot. I think that it's a decent looking card as far as I appeal. I had it at number 12. I think it's a decent looking card. Um, I think the reason it's talked about is because a lot of people bag on Harold Baines. It's not because it's an important card. It's because they're just bagging on Harold Baines and they're bagging on his hair. Yeah, well. Um, I, I, the, the one debate I would probably throw back after hearing Chris talk is a lot of these cards in the top 10 have – could be well, actually not the top ten, but below Harold, above a Harold Baines was players that like Jake showed multiple cards that he disagrees with the rookie card. So I would probably say, you know, he's got one solo rookie card, and you know somebody like Craig Biggio or Barry Larkin, you know, you can debate what their rookie card is if you just don't go off a of PSA. So I could kind of see that debate on it. Is it? It's a more important card maybe than somebody who has three rookie cards, but. But I've that's always okay. said that's I've always said this about somebody like uh, Stan Musial being underrated, and his cards <laughs> aren't very his cards aren't very popular or you know pricey compared to some. But if we all keep talking about him like we all keep saying how underrated his cards are, eventually that card's not going to be underrated because there, people are will be going toward that card and picking up that card. When I think you know, like for example. Roberto Alomar, which granted, I have a different rookie card for him, but like nobody's picking up a Roberto Alomar rookie out of a bin at a show for a dollar and then showing it on YouTube and going, ha ha ha, I got Roberto Alomar. Somebody's <laughs> going to pick this up for a dollar and say, oh, Harold Baines. Blah, blah, blah. To yeah. me, that's at least a piece of making it more hobby relevant and important. Just like what Greg's saying with the uh, Billy Ripken card. That absolutely is what makes it hobby relevant because people talk about it and it's an interesting story. It's not the only piece, but it's definitely a factor. Yeah. Those are all Where, good points. Chris, I, I want to ask you this. Where's the cutoff for vintage cards, modern cards? What what year? 1980. 1980. So it's like right. 19, Henderson, I consider a vintage card. Right. And so Baines is. Baines is right on that edge. We're watching all vintage channels. He's right on that edge where vintage collectors are still buying his rookie card, in my opinion. But I don't know. 
Well, <laughs> I liked. I, I actually watched uh, Greg's show the other day. I didn't have anything to do for about five minutes. <laughs> oh, that's so dirty, Chris. That's but, so but dirty. I really, I, okay, so I really. I, I hate saying this with the, with. I wish you would just shut, it, take you off the screen, and then I could say it to everybody else. But you had a you had a term that I loved, and I've heard it some somewhere else. The um, modern vintage. Uh, you know, and I've heard that, that uh, and we're going to end up having to break it. The lingo is going to have to be broken down somehow coming up because 1979 or 1981, Jake, Jake, you weren't born in 81, right? Nope. I was so, an eight of 10. And, and uh, you know, that's old. 81's, 81's old. And so I like the term vintage modern vintage and uh, i thought that was i thought that was a great use of it in your on your show the other day so well i appreciate any kind words from you chris uh <laughs> i think i think as soon as we went to multiple manufacturers as soon as it's you know post monopoly like 81 when there's you know a flare don or so, a tops of like all the guys like that's really to me now in the modern or the junk wax era and anything for me from about 70 until about 80 is sort of, you know, that's sort of like the modern vintage and then anything sixties and fifties is like clear vintage. And then obviously like the very beginning of the forties before is pre-war. So it, it is kind of in this no man's land. And I think it's one of the reasons why seventies cards and early eighties cards get overlooked because they're kind of in this, well, that's not a vintage card, but it kind of is. It just, it's just a different type of vintage card, but that's my take. That is interesting. I'm trying to read the comment here. Eighties is vintage. Makes me feel old. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think if it can, if it, if it qualifies as a classic car, it's, it's like, like Chris is saying, it could be a modern vintage. Um, but let's uh, let's get into the countdown here. We'll talk more about this stuff. So at number ten is the 1988 Flare Update, John Smoltz. He got n he got nine for quality of career, eleven for eye appeal, and twelve for importance of the hobby. So I actually um, I actually this had the real one. <laughs> oh, I thought yeah. this was the real one. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, Chris, can you hold that back up? I think it's. I love the look of the card. I think uh, I, I love the background with the. It's almost like a color match with the Braves. I I, I rated it a high eye appeal card actually. I like this a lot better, and I like the score rookies. I like the, the better right. than the score rookies that we saw earlier. So does any since we kind of already talked about Smoltz a little bit, my question is. Was, was that brave staff the best pitching staff in baseball history because of the three guys that let's just say in their prime let's just go with that whatever prime you want to say whatever um year in the 90s was that the best pitching staff or maybe we could just say the best top three pitchers on a starting pitching rotation or can you guys think of another one that was better well i mean the dodgers in the late 50s was there was good. a the the best rotation for one single year was the Baltimore Orioles. They had four twenty game winners on their 
team back in 1970, uh, I think 71 maybe. Um, somewhere, somebody, I, I can't look it up, but they had they had four. They had uh, Quayar, Palmer, uh, McNally, I think, and Grimsley. No, nah, I'm wrong there. Some Somebody smarter than me will know, but they had four 20-game winners. I know the A's one year had three. Storm Davis had 20, and then Welch had like 24, and Dave Stewart had 20. But as I mean, as a unit, as a package, I think everyone, well, I don't know about everyone, but I think it's the Braves. I think that Braves rotation in a, in a three In a three or four-year span, yes. But yeah. it's, hard to, it's hard to beat a starting rotation that had four 20-game winners. Pitchers pitched longer back then, but – yeah, I, I I definitely would have to do more research on. There was a lot of a lot of you know there was a four four uh, man rotation the whole time. I bet there, I bet the Braves. I bet it was a five man rotation at some point uh, with the Braves. So harder to get starts, but you know the Orioles. That was modern baseball too. It's just they starting pitchers went a long time. But if you look at if you look at uh, Maddox's shutouts. And, you know, he, he pitched a lot longer than pitchers pitch today. I think so, if you're talking for a rotation and what their careers were, it's the Braves. Yeah. Um, so, Jake, they won, they won what, the World Series in 95, and that's it, correct? So yes. that has to be one of the biggest disappointments. And you're happy they won one. You're happy they won, but it's like you have this great staff and – does it feel that way as a Braves fan or do Braves fans say, no, it was a great time? <laughs> so I was a young kid then. Yeah. And, you know, it all kind of blurs together a little bit for me. I just remember us always being good. Um, and we won a World Series. I mean, when they won in 95, I was four. So I don't remember that very well. I remember the later defeats in the late 90s, uh, you know, 98, 99, when they didn't win. Um, and, you know, then – carry on later and they won again in 2021. I, I was blessed to go see uh, game three uh, of that world series. And, you know, they've clinched another division this year. Um, and I saw a stat that if you were born in 1991, which I was um, the worst of first year, the Braves have won their division 65% of my life. Wow. Which is unbelievable. But if I was an older Braves fan, I don't remember the misery of the 80s and the 70s when they were really, really bad, uh, you know, post-Aaron and all those guys when when Murphy was the only bright spot on the team. Um, so I, I view it as a, a positive as a kid. Um, you know, it might be different if we are really, really good in this stretch and I remember it more vividly and we only get one World Series. So that's yeah. my take on it. Yeah, I um, as a Pirates fan, the last 36 years – I think my percentage is 3% we've won the division. So you should feel very blessed. <laughs> I do. I do. Like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get on to number nine. Number nine is the 1984 Flare Update Kirby Pocket Card. It got 11 for quality of career, seven for, seven for eye appeal, and five for importance to the hobby. So... Uh, he's got five for importance of the hobby, which was a high score. Um, Chris, I'm actually going to start with you. Um, so, Chris, you had <laughs> – uh, uh, can you hold your glasses up to the – I just want to make sure that, they, that they're that they good. Um, 
You had that as a one eye appeal card. Like what? What was going on, dude? <laughs> I I I love this card. I love it for eye appeal. Bring um, it back up. Let's let's look at it again. And this is to my got to pay homage to my buddy Don of Don's Field of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> you know the guy. So, but no, I I I really do like this card. Um, I think where I had him down was a career, uh, maybe. But dude, the the way you rank that that eye, you should get that tattooed on your body. I think <laughs> that's all right. Does that's anybody right. want to uh, talk about Kirby Puckett at all? I want to know why Chris is sucking up to Don. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Kirby Puckett's one of the Kirby Puckett's one of the top three or four youngest guys to get in the Hall of Fame. Um, and. And his highlight was the World Series when it, you know, when everybody, you know, I didn't watch any Minnesota games to speak of, you know, had no reason to. And then they make it to the World Series and he's their spark plug. And, you know, there for a couple of years, he was considered one of the top players in baseball. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I, if you'd have told me when we started our little stuff doing this with all the decades, the 80s, when I look back at it, I would have said, oh, gosh, I don't want to I don't want to do the 80s. It's not going to be near as fun as the 70s or fu as fun as the 60s or 50s. And I just thought, OK, the, there's going to be some nasty cards, you know. But as far as cards go, um, these there's there's, you know, take Harold Baines out of here. There's not a clown on this list. And, <laughs> And, you know, uh, this is, as far as players go, if you look at this, it's, I think it's more solid than what we did in the 70s um, as far as, as far as the players go. So I'm, I'm actually, I actually enjoyed this a little bit more than what I thought I would. You mean in terms of quality of career, Chris? Yes. And, and also the cards and, and, you know, because I really like the older cards. I mean, I, I like the look of the older cards, um, but this actually gave me a chance to get these cards that I haven't gotten out in a long time to take a look at them and say, wow, okay, these, you know, this, this 19, this 1983 Tony Gwynn's a good looking card or this 1986 uh, Greg Maddox. I forget how much I love that card because you know, when I play in the sandbox now, I usually play in the sandbox filled with 50s and 60s cards and not the 80s cards because I just didn't think much of them. But, man, there's some there's some nice cards in here. Yeah. What do you think, Greg, compared to other decades? What do you think of the 80s rookie cards, Hall of Fame rookies? Well, these are, this is the era I grew up in, and this is the area. In, I mean, I was born in 79. So, you know, I really started collecting in 87. I had a few packs from 86, but most were 87. And then for me, anything before 1986 was old when I was collecting as a kid, because that was like two, three years old. Oh, how do you how do you even get those cards? Because there weren't card shops everywhere yet. That was coming a few years later. So there's a lot of nostalgia in this for me. There are a lot of these cards I still want because they were cards I wanted as a kid that I couldn't get and I couldn't afford because that Kirby Puckett card was super expensive as a kid, that 84 flare update. 
it's probably cost more then than it does now. And, you know, so a lot of these cards are on my list of cards I want to obtain just because, I mean, it was like one of the first things I, I did like several years ago when I really started collecting again was I bought an 87 rated or 86 Donruss rated rookie Jose Canseco because that was the card in 1987. Like that was the card. It was selling for like $100 at shows. So, you know, it's just one of these things where I like it, but I think I like it more from nostalgia reasons. Yeah. I don't think anything can touch the rookie cards from the 50s. I think there's just some insanely beautiful cards from the 50s, but it was a lot of fun to do. Like Chris said, I know all the players. I watched all the players, and they're all the cards I want from my childhood. So some of them, like you guys are holding a lot up. There's a lot, I, have, I have five lists sitting here of the 19, but I'd like to get more, except I, I don't think I need the Harold Baines. But. <laughs> so, I, know it's on, I know it's on your Christmas list. <laughs> so all the, if you all send the, me one, I'll take it, Chris. Okay. <laughs> so all the rookies we've done already were all before I was born. So there's not really a nostalgia factor for me. What I found with the 80s doing this list is I don't know why Theo chose to go with KSA's list from Canada or whatever, but <laughs> I like a lot of the rookies that are not on that list. Like I have them different from what they have on their list. Like I know Greg even showed, you know, the different smolts that he liked. Cause I, I think like off of their, in all seriousness and off of PSA's list, they chose like some of the ugliest versions for each player. Like I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. That, the Robbie Alomar is a perfect example. The one that you showed is a much better looking card than the one of his back up to bat. Like it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And in 1987, you know, I was wanting that Roberto Alomar card or whatever it was. And I could yeah. care less about the other ones. So yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's one of those things like we had mentioned, um, I think in one of the previous streams is it's like, you know, some of these lists are fluid. It was the last one we were talking about the 40s because some of those guys have a Leaf and a Bowman. Mm. And it was like the list has kind of changed. Sometimes it's included both. Sometimes it's just included one. It'll maybe change now that people are agreeing that the 48 Leaf is really the 49 Leaf. So they're not both rookie cards. There's just one. So I think it's fluid and I think they'll eventually get it right. But as it stands right now, it is what it is. John, what's up, man? Uh, you know, this obviously being my era, hence, hence my name, uh, <laughs> I, and, uh, a couple of the comments just, just struck me of, uh, here, James Gillum with the 84 Don Mattingly and then the Mark McGuire. I just think it's so crazy how, uh, when you're actually in that time period, the absolute, you know, three of the hottest cards of that decade are actually the 84 Mattingly, the 85 Maguire, and the 86 Canseco. And, of course, none of them make this list because they all fall short of the Hall of Fame. So Strawberry and Gooden were chased as hard as well. 80, oh, 84 yeah. Fleer, the 84 Fleer update Gooden was a huge card as well. And then a couple years later in 88 is when Clemens had his amazing season and in 88 is when the 84 Fleer update Clemens really blew up. So those cards literally, I have a Beckett from 1987, I think. And I did an episode. I on pulled it. this one out uh, for this episode from uh, July of 1990. And, and literally <laughs> in like 1987, the, the Gooden 
84 FLIR update was selling for like 80 bucks in Beckett. And at the same time, the 1950, uh, I'm getting an echo all of a sudden, but the 1950 Jackie Robinson, I think was also 80 bucks. The Bowman, Jackie Robinson and the 84 update Gooden were the same price in that Beckett. And like my head exploded. Right. Well, this, this is something that happened to me in the eighties because, you know, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. didn't just, he didn't start the rookie craze. I remember opening a pack and getting a Mike Scott card from the Houston Astros. And he was having a heck of a year and it didn't mean much to me. It was a, it was a three player card. And I, I don't remember what year, uh, but it was three player card. What I do remember is that the card shop owner, um, he ended up buying it back from me for like another pack, gave me another pack. And I gave him that card. And a couple of days later, a kid at another guy at school said, man, the, the guy, I won't say his name because he's still alive because I haven't ran over him yet. Um, uh, he, he was bragging to that kid how he got me out of this Mike Scott card because it was, you know, it was crazy. And just cards like the rookie cards being chased. And the, there's so many of those great rookie cards that aren't on this list because something happened to derail their career or, or, you know, or they got hurt or something like that. So yeah, Eric so Davis. many good rookie cards, Eric Davis, Eric Davis. That would, that was a, that was a chased card. Yeah. Oh, I see a Billy ball game here. Uh, the same question I have uh, as someone who dropped out in 91, when all these update and traded sets were still considered XRCs and Beckett's, when did they lose that designator? I was Does learning it... to read. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, they called them the, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I fully understand, but I mean, they called them the, like the FLIR 84 FLIR update set. And it was an XR cause there would be the little yeah. RC in there and then there'd be the XRC. And then when did it go? When did the XRC go away and it just said the RC? Is that the question? Well, like now we have this uh, PSA registry list of rookie cards. And back when they were being made, Beckett called all the ones that were traded or update sets XRCs and not RCs. Like they were pre-rookie cards. Like an extra rookie card? It, it I, I was always a... Were. I thought they I mean, were it's the same thing they did with the Star Jordan versus the the Fleer. I think I think what it is, and and I'm sure that there are people out here that know a lot more about this than me, but a lot of people consider the the rookie card the first widely released card of each player. And so my guess is the PSA list, and this is just a guess when it has like the scorecard for Smoltz instead of, or it wasn't Smoltz, whoever it was, Glavin, it, it, when it has that, it's because that was the first one that actually came out is my guess. So I think that the designation kind of went away when guys had 20 rookie cards and it was just, what's the first widely released card. Now I could be wrong, but cause I mean, there are a lot of guys even, you know, locally or regionally released cards back in vintage cards people say well that's his true rookie card or there's debate about which is his real rookie card but 
that's my guess as to why PSA's registry has these cards as the list. It's it's probably the score uh, Glavin came out before the one that same year of, you know, the Fleer or something. Somebody call Victor. <laughs> I, um, I had to switch to my computer. Does my, um, do I sound okay? No feedback? You're all right. No. You're good. Okay. Um, all right. So, Let's uh let's 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 get back to the countdown. So at number eight, uh, number five for quality of career, the the card got crushed on I appeal. Seventeen, importance of the hobby at number three, the nineteen eighty two tops Cal Ripken Jr. So once again, it was three an importance of the hobby and five for quality of career, but. The eye appeal of the card got crushed at 17. Um, are you guys disappointed that Cal Ripken uh, was all the way down at number eight overall? No. Nope. Multiplayer card. <laughs> Anybody want to talk about Cal Ripken and uh, maybe where he would rank as far as all-time best shortstops? Um, well, the thing about Ripken that I think is interesting is – uh, the first thing is he's one of the first kind of chase rookies, like big time rookie cards where there's a whole bunch of options, right? If you go back a year or two before it, there was one. So he's the first guy where there's really like three or four rookie cards, which then kind of devalues the chase or the intrigue of one in particular. I have one. I didn't bring it up here uh, to show you because it's not the one that they have on the registry list that we were given to, to vote on. <laughs> yeah. As far as Ripken, we were in an era for a long time where shortstops were largely defensive players. I mean, it was like Ozzie Smith made all-star games every year because he was a defensive guy. You know, if you look just kind of across the board, a lot of these guys were were defensive guys and they weren't really expected to produce offensively. And that didn't really change until, you know, Jeter, Nomar Garcia Parra and A-Rod. And then all of a sudden it became a position where, oh, we, we need to get offense out of these guys too. The thing that was unique about Ripken is he was in an era where he was hitting offensively and he was solid defensively. And so he was sort of an outlier. So he was like in a whole decade where if you look through that whole decade, who are the other good offensive shortstops? And you're like, you know, Walt Weiss like had a, a good season. Like there was this big stretch where there just wasn't offense. So he was looked at as very unique because he could hit, but he was a shortstop, which was super rare. So he, he kind of felt like a third baseman. Yeah, exactly. 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 So, so Jake, do you want to say something? Did I uh, interrupt? Uh, did I interrupt? I think, you? I think the greatest is flying du the flying Dutchman, right, Theo? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something kind of controversial, um, and I am a Ripken fan. Okay. Yep. I'm, I'm a Ripken fan, but there's some things that Ripken did in his career that he couldn't get out of his own way on, and. I've, I've got to hear him talk a couple different times in a really close setting. Um, and you should see his hands. His his hands are so mangled. I mean, seriously, his hands are mangled like an old-time catcher. Um, hmm. So I respect that. But I, 
I always thought it was a little bit selfish chasing that goal. He was uh, of, uh, and, and with the Orioles though, that's all they had to go on because he played, he played on a great team his first year, but he played on some really bad teams. Okay. And so he refused to get out of the lineup, which I think hurt him uh, a lot. I think he should have taken days off on that body, but I understand why he didn't. The other thing that people don't remember is he had long slumps too. Uh, you know, and one of the reasons he did look back and uh, uh, research him a little bit, he changed his batting stance 20 different times as a major leaguer. He couldn't settle on a batting stance. So if, if he would go, you know, two, two bad games in a row, he would switch the way he swung a bat. He also switched the size of the bat a lot. And, uh, and the thing that bothered me the most when I talked to him he, he he was asked a question, and for two years he claims that he called balls and strikes. That he that he played with a catcher that was so young that he called balls and strikes. And I I don't care who you are, if you're standing 120 feet away from the batter, you shouldn't be calling balls and strikes. But he's one of the uh, he's he did tra- he did uh, transform the shortstop position like Greg said, but I just there's a couple things that I think a lot of people don't know about him, but man, I'm not, it's, it's incredible what he did. It is incredible. But I think, I think he could have helped his stats by doing a tweaking a couple things, but he will not, he would not have been remembered in baseball like he always will now, because that's a record that's going to be tough to be broken. Yeah. I I think there's some great comments in the, in the chat too, you know, obviously we know Ernie Banks and, and then totally Barry Larkin, you know, a few years later. And, and it really got to the point where I remember, cause it was back in the day, you'd go to the ballpark and you would, you would punch out the little things to vote for the all-star game. And so you'd get your big sheet and it'd be folded up and you'd punch them out. And I remember going to the shortstops and it was like, well, it's, it's Ripken for the American <laughs> league. And then it became Larkin in the national league because they were they were the two guys that could hit um so yeah they're, they're just at the time there were few people so these youngsters like jake we have to tell them about you know that how the, the position changed you know over time and they were some of the guys that did it well i know there was a huge gap there offensively between honus wagner and then banks and then rick and lark and <laughs> yeah. i do know that but you're right i'm, I'm just teach these kids <laughs> let me clarify what i said don asked a question in the comments he wasn't an umpire he didn't call balls and strikes he he, he called the pitches uh, i'm already one drink in and getting it wrong <laughs> I was just letting you go. I was just waiting for you to be like Joe Morgan, shortstop. <laughs> I assume I assume that's what you meant. Um, Thank you. You know, you know what I'd like to. I'd really like. We're gonna we're gonna keep the countdown going. But if if you were an '80s baseball card collector like myself and the guys in here, what set did you like the best back then? Don Russ, Upper Deck. Um, we got Flair, and then you could go with Tops if you want to as as an '80s set, obviously. So which 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 set did you like to collect um, in the eighties? Because I um I I always ended up with Don Russ cards. 
<laughs> so I, I don't know if it was just to save money or what, but I always ended up with Donruss cards. But I'd love to hear what people in the chat, um, what what set what sets they like to collect. Um, so at number seven, uh, it got ten on quality of career. It uh, he got number three on eye appeal and number seventh on importance of the hobby. Nineteen. Hey, Oh, Are we on eight or seven? Seven. Okay. All right. The 1983 tops uh, Ryan Sandberg card. Oh, Greg's got some ink on there. Oh. He's he, he does TTM, right, Greg? Yeah, you guys know I'm a TTM guy, and I sent this to him. Uh, with no money in the envelope and he sent it back <laughs> and then um i sent it back with 10 bucks in it and it, it got signed so i mean it's not a super expensive card you know you could go to a show and pick that up for eight or ten bucks but it's kind of cool because you know similar to ripkin there weren't a lot of second basemen that produced and he produced like crazy and the mm -hmm. other thing about him is, you know, he was on the Cubs, so you could see every game. You could see him a lot because all mm -hmm. the games were broadcast. And so, you know, as a kid, I played middle infielder as a kid playing baseball. So I looked up to the shortstops and the second baseman. So Ryan Sandberg was, was huge when I was a kid. And so to get his rookie card, his top rookie card signed is like totally cool. That's awesome. Uh, Jake? You actually had him at 14 for quality career, by far the lowest. Why do you hate the guy? Go ahead and explain. <laughs> You're always picking on me, Theo. You're always picking on me. Am I, am I always picking on you? <laughs> I didn't notice. You know, maybe. Uh, no, I mean, for Sandberg, I have him a lot lower uh, for one main reason. And, you know, I beat this like a dead horse, but he doesn't hit, you know, any of those major milestones for me. Uh doesn't have 400 homers, doesn't have 2,500 hits, doesn't have 500 stolen bases, doesn't have 1,500 RBIs or runs. Um, however, uh, what he doesn't have in counting stats, he does make up for in hardware. Uh, he does have nine gold gloves. He does have seven silver sluggers, and he was a 10-time All-Star. Um, but I tend to value those, those stat milestones more than the average person. And I do everything how I evaluate based on would I vote for them for the Hall of Fame or not, um, both presently or posthumously if I could kick people out. But it's the same reason you can't compare the stats of Bill Mazeroski to, you know, Willie McCovey. I mean, a middle infielder is not built or designed for power numbers. They're the outliers. They're not the, the norm. So I think that whenever you're evaluating a player – I, for me, and I respect what you're saying, for me, you have to compare them to others that played that position because you can't stick, you know, Mickey Mantle at second base. He's just too big. He's he's fast, but he's not quick. You need mm -hmm. a certain quickness. And so to, I always have tried to, you know, if we go back to the Joe Morgan, <laughs> the, you know, Lou Brock debate, but it's like <laughs> the way that you're built physically, just like, in basketball, that's why Magic Johnson is an unusual one because he was basically built like a forward but played point guard. So I think that we have to consider, I mean, we have to consider to some extent the position that they played and what physical requirements are needed. Same with catcher. You know, catchers aren't going to have the same numbers because of the wear and tear. Mm -hmm. 
I yeah. agree. I agree with that. I actually, I believe I had Kirby Puckett ranked higher than Sandberg. Um, I got to see him play and I liked them both. Um, and I can't just because Sandberg hits some of those numbers, Harold Baines, I think got 1500 RBIs. And if he didn't, let's say he did, I, I don't, I think he did, but he did. No, no one can tell me that Harold Baines was a better baseball player than Sandberg. And just because, or Puckett, because Puckett didn't come close to hitting any of that kind of stuff. But I know if we were lined up at recess and I got to pick a player, I would be picking Kirby Puckett before I'd be picking up Harold Banks. That's just my, my thoughts. I just, I, I didn't have, I didn't have Sandberg as high as what I thought I would have. I think I had him 10th or 11th as far as career, but uh, you know, it's just, yeah, you had him ninth. Yeah, but it's just it's this is this is fun for me. This group of eighties here is because I got cable TV in our house. Ryan Sandberg's rookie year, so I got to (laughs) I got got to grow up Ryan Sandberg. So look at you, Chris, moving (laughs) up in the world, yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. (laughs) Well, part of it too is I just looked it up. Harold Baines played twenty one seasons, and he had sixteen hundred RBIs. Um, whereas Ryan Sandberg played 16 or 17 seasons. So four and, or five and less and years. And, you know, and you can year. do that when you're DHing, you know, and, and every once in a while you play in, you know, left field or something. Like you can get away with that. But when you're playing a position where you're just getting taken out every time you turn a double play and you're, you know, you're moving with different muscles, it's a little bit tougher to last a long time at like a second base. Yeah. That's back when they could slide into your knees, right? <laughs> now it's now it's not even an issue. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to number six. So at number six, he was six overall, seven for eye appeal, seven for quality of career, and six for importance of hobby. So pretty pretty standard across the board. It's the 1983 tops Wade Boggs card, and we're gonna we're gonna actually after we show the card, we're gonna put Greg on the hot seat. Uh-oh. Yeah. You, you're in trouble, Greg. It's about time. So yeah, so, <laughs> yeah I gotta be fair here. I gotta have Jake back on the show. So so Greg, you had this card as the 16th worst eye appeal card. John can someone put it, it can someone put it back up while I explain okay, I defend wait, myself? John had it at seven, Chris had it at six, Jake had it at seven, and I had it at six. So four out of five. Four out of five of us all agreed like six or seven. So go ahead. Okay. So first of all, he's not even fully in the shot. Part of his body is cut <laughs> off in the shot. A and it's him. He's sticking out his butt. He looks like he's on a camping trip and he had to go on a walk and take care of his thing is what it looks like to me. Okay. Um, you can't see any of the logos on him. Like I love it when you can see the, the boss, the B on the hat or the Red Sox across or like you can't he's not looking at the camera he's not swinging you're no he's known for his hitting he's known for his contact hitting never striking out he's known for hitting it off the green monster and left but he's standing on the base pass which he's least known for and he's he's not it's not even a side shot it's like an angled side shot where his body is cut off by the image it's an awful picture great so to say it's a okay. six is horrifying hey chris hey chris, hey, chris. Let, let me take over here. 
Chris, hold oh, on. I, I got something I want to say, but go okay. ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. So, Craig, Greg, <laughs> look, look at this. To me, as I look at it, you're right. Uh, it looks to me like he's watching Yogi Berra chop down trees. Oh, that's so bad, dude. That's so, that's so bad. Now we're taking old, we're taking old things and we're just throwing them in my face, man. All right, Chris, do me a favor. Take take that card and put the Gwyn card next to it, okay? And I, I was going to ask the same I want, question. I want to bring this up. I want to bring this up, even though we're not on Tony Gwynn yet. You rated the Tony Gwynn card. Put it full screen for us, please. You rated the Tony Gwynn card five on eye appeal. Yes. That card has the worst big picture ever. You just see so, his butt. That's it. Like, please explain yourself. This is ridiculous. okay. So here's here's what I'll say. Put the cards back. Hold up. Put the cards back up. I got to defend myself. So okay. when I I look at this card of Tony Gwynn, what I think of Tony Gwynn is again he's very similar to Boggs. He was just better than Boggs. They are guys who hit and they're immediately running down the first, circling first with a big turn, possibly, you know, trying to stretch it into a double. And don't forget that Tony Gwynn, the first couple of years, he was not a big guy. He was super thin and had lots of stolen bases his first two or three seasons. (laughs) When you look at that, that's how I remember Tony Gwynn. I remember Tony Gwynn taking his hack and then immediately jetting up to first. I don't think of I don't think of Wade Boggs literally literally crouching like he's on a camping trip. Um, okay, what? I'm sorry that picture uh, that picture of Gwen is bad. I, I just we're gonna get to it. It's wait a second, a wait a second in the chat. You don't think Tony Gwen was better than Wade Boggs? You think Wade Boggs is better than Gwen? No, I didn't. No, I didn't say that. No, no, I that's what that. it says. In, that's what Andrew said in the chat. So, of you guys, who thinks who thinks Gwyn is better than Boggs? And Boggs or Gwyn, Chris? Uh, Gwyn. How about you, Even Jake? Bob. Uh-huh. No, I'm just kidding, Gwyn. Gwyn, for sure. I think John, John was. It looks like John was the only one who ranked, who ranked Boggs one. He ranked him one spot higher. That's it. Everybody no, else. No, no, no. Andrew in the chat who is very knowledgeable guy. He, he comments on my channel all the time. Totally respect his opinion. He's saying that Gwyn was not better than Boggs, which surprises me because he and I see eye to eye on most things, but we don't on this one. Well, the um, first responders just got a call from John Wade Boggs hand, uh, fan's house, so I don't know what all <laughs> that's about. <laughs> oh, man. Um, do you guys have anything else to say about Wade Boggs, or can I move on? Great player. Yeah. You're very good player. Nice guy. <laughs> Definitely. Um, all right. So let's get into He's the top TTM. five. He's a TTM or through two through two as well. I have his on the Donruss rookie though. Yeah, yeah, he's very good. So Gwyn has more hits and hit for a higher average than Boggs. Yep. Um I had a where they were splitting hairs and the fact that Boggs was a third baseman provided the the extra value to me. That's fair. That's a fair point, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh let's get into the top five. So at number five, uh four for quality of career, four for eye appeal, and nine for importance to the hobby. 
1989 Upper Deck Randy Johnson Star Rookie. There we go. This is the one big, of the few cards that I have that uh, to, uh, in my collection still that I literally pulled from a pack. This That's was, awesome. This was Christmas morning, 1989. That was pulled from a pack. So I had the hardest time with Randy Johnson versus uh, Greg Maddox. And Greg, you were the only one of us five that put the big unit ahead of Maddox, actually. Um, which, you know, I don't it's hard to it's hard to argue, but um did you want to maybe debate between Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox? I believe both of them had one World Series. Um I believe Johnson had five Cy Youngs and Maddox had four, but I might be wrong on that. Maybe so are Jake you vote, are you arguing my case or yours so far? Um, well, I'm just kind of putting all the stats out there, kind of, I guess you would say, because I had a hard, he had, he had, had almost, really hard five, <laughs> he had, he had almost 5,000 strikeouts. Yeah. He's like number three on the all-time strikeout list, three or four. You know, you know, um, Andy Johnson. Yeah. Second. Two. He had 4875 strikeouts, 4875. So is he two or three? He's um, I mean, the thing about Randy Johnson, I mean, he was obviously insanely tall. He was as feared a hitter or, for hitters. I mean, he was like scary. He had the long hair. He had this kind of crazy look. Um, I mean, what wasn't it John Cruck in the All-Star game or something that like he totally <laughs> like he put his helmet on backwards and like totally was in his head. And I mean, he was like intimidating and he had. You know, he had a bunch of times either threw a no hitter or was really close. He had a couple, several times he flirted with the 20 strikeout uh, in a game. He had a bunch of times that he almost had 3,000 or 300 strikeouts in a season. Um, I could pull it up real quick. I, I mean, he to me is, yeah, so he had. He had 308, 294, 364, 347, 372, 334, 290. I mean, that's a lot of seasons at, above, or just under 300 strikeouts. I mean, he was really, really tough. And yeah. his 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 left-handed slider just cut so far across that I think of him, he's in the top five left-handed pitchers of all time. Maybe top three-ish. So... Maddox was very good and Maddox yeah. made balls go this way, this way, this way, and this way. And he was like a genius on the mound, but completely different types of pitchers. And if I were to go up to hit, I'd much rather face Maddox <laughs> than Randy Johnson. Agreed. Yeah. But to me, they were, to me, it's, they're, they're the same, uh, even though they're totally different pitch pitchers. Maddox and uh, Maddox and Johnson on my list were were right next to each other, and yeah. I I chose Maddox because I looked at him as a pitcher, and I looked at Randy Johnson as a thrower, and uh, uh, Maddox did it without having to strike everybody out, and so he didn't walk very many. He, uh, you know, there but there's no difference. There, one's the third best on this list, and one's the fourth best on this list. In my book. Yeah. Uh, what I, do you think? Now, yeah, let me yeah. just throw this out to you guys. Clemens, Pedro Martinez, Greg Maddox. 
is Greg Maddox the best of those three? I think yes. Yeah. So so we're 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 gonna we're the steroids don't matter. We're just judging Clemens on his career, right? Yeah. Okay. Man, that's tough. <laughs> what do you think, that's, Chris? That's really tough. Because to oh, me, God. those are the three best I'm... pitchers of that era. Yeah, I I agree. I I think the, here's here's the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Right-handed pitchers, Maddox was not solo in his dominance. There were others that you could say were a little better or right there with him. Left-handed pitchers, it's Randy Johnson, and to me, no other lefty was even close. So that's why I have Randy Johnson elevated over because he had so much separation between him and the the next left-handed pitcher. That's just me. Maddox was the best. Another thing is the left-handed strikeout pitchers are fewer and far between. I think there might be four total left-handers and have 3,000 strikeouts. I could be wrong, but I bet Stooks would be able to tell me. Uh, so Carlton, Spawnson. No, not Spawn. Spawn. Not Spawn. Spawn doesn't have 3,000? No. Oh. No, Walter Johnson was the first win. one to 3,000. The second one was Bob No, Dixon. no, no. I said, but, I said Randy Johnson, uh-huh. Steve Carlton. Yeah. I thought Spawn, but it sounds like no. Walter C. Johnson. CC Sabathia. Mm. As far as left-handed pitchers go. I, I I saw some people pick Clemens. I just I know we're we're with the what we're saying is Clemens without steroids, but is it really fair because he he was able to recover faster? Do we really? I know how good Clemens was at the beginning of his career. It's just kind of it's kind of a hard debate for me to bring Clemens up personally. I, really, I agree. I agree. It's tough <laughs> for you too because he, he you know we don't know what the steroids did for him as far as recovery goes. That's the but, problem. And, and, and you're you're assuming. Put Pedro Martinez on steroids, and you'd have a fight every other game. But I mean, <laughs> you know, just imagine all right. Him not being on steroids, he he couldn't have pulled a muscle. He could have pulled a bone. Yeah. Well, I, I, but but this is going to open up another can of worms. I know. I know uh, Theo's job is to keep us on track, and we keep squirreling down rabbit holes. But <laughs> but. At the end, I'll ask this question, or I'll ask it again. Do we really think that none of these other players that we're talking about tonight took any sort of PEDs? That's a do you, terrible do you really, There's, <laughs> there's, there's 19 when, guys on this list, and I yeah. guarantee you more than one took PEDs. Yeah, but that's a terrible argument to have. <laughs> you're, a teacher, you're a teacher, you rip up a kid's test, and that Correct. parent comes in. I guarantee you, somebody else in your classroom of twenty-five was cheating on that test. You're not going to well, say. First of all, you're not going to say, "Okay, okay, <laughs> you're right. I should let him go there." You're right, ma'am. My bad. Even though I know he he, even though I know he cheated, you're probably right. Somebody else in the class cheated too. So I'll. But you him. guys, but you guys are are making the argument that Clemens got to recover faster than these other pitchers because they weren't taking things. You're making that assumption. And all I'm saying is I think that that assumption might not be accurate. But the only reason we're making that assumption is we know Clemens did. No, you don't. (laughs) So his wife was taking steroids. (laughs) 
All right, Greg. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, I, I do. This is what took me over the top for Maddox, actually. It's the gold gloves. Uh, best fielding pitcher of all time. I, 18, I baby. For sure. For I sure. don't think that can be debated. So that no. that was the differentiator for me as far as as far as why I had actually I actually had Greg Maddox as the number one quality of career on my rankings. And I had Randy Johnson number two. So, um, all right, let's move on, because the next one we've been talking about it. At um at number four, he got two for quality of career. He got nine for eye appeal, and he got eight for importance to hobby. It's the nineteen eighty seven Don Russ Greg Maddox card. The best mustache in the business. Let's let's see it. <laughs> so I. I why Jake? Why don't you have this? Is a classic card. You really don't have it. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jake I don't is like clearly it. a tops guy. He likes tops. <laughs> For the 80s? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, Randy Johnson didn't really have an option, but you know, like, I chose this one instead of the upper deck. I like the red jersey. Um, we were kind of, we were just talking about Greg Maddox. I don't really know if there's much more much more to talk about. I actually, I had the card as the highest eye pill out of the group. I had it at four and the next, the next lowest was Greg at eight. I, I think it's a cool card with the black border. I, I think it's, I think it's really cool, but um, does anybody else have anything to say about Greg Maddox or can I move on to the top three? All right. I'm going to number three. You guys probably know what it is. Uh, I would love to hear from the chat. Do you, do you guys think? Do you guys think? No, it's not about number three. Do you guys think that the Ricky Henderson card or the Ken Griffey Jr. card is going to be number one on our list? All right, at number three, it got six for quality of career, six for eye appeal, and four for importance to hobby. It's the 1983 Tony Gwynn butt card. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's favorite card. All right. I wouldn't say it's my favorite card, but. I love I love Tony Gwynn. I think he was such a likable guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he was in the booth for like the Little League World Series and in Sunday night baseball and stuff, super great guy. I mean, his his career average was like 340 or something. I mean, he and he he loved the history of the game. I mean, he loved his relationship with Ted Williams and they'd sit around and talk about stuff and I mean, he's just a really likable guy, and he's a fantastic hitter. So, Greg, you yeah, actually, and, and tops is his tops card is my favorite. Greg, you had his quality of career as the second highest. So John had seven, Chris had six, Jake had seven, and I had seven. So you were substantially higher. Um, so why did you feel his quality of career was so? So high compared to this group of players, I guess. I think it's more about the players that I thought he was better than, than that I thought I I think other people overrated other people. Like I th I think other people have Griffey higher than I have Griffey, for example. I think Griffey was great, but I think that Griffey um, wasn't as great as others think that he was. But but, um, but some, you, you you had Maddox and Johnson below him. How? Like as yeah. far as as far as them as pitchers, 
and Gwyn as as a great hitter he was. I just don't. To me, it's not comparable. I like I said, I had them at one too. So how is it just the everyday player versus the position player type of debate? Is that what what you took him over the top for you? Yeah, I mean, when you think of a baseball player, I mean, I obviously love pitchers. I think pitchers are, if anything, a little underrated in their card values. I mean, some of the 50s, I mean, like, there's no reason that Whitey Ford's rookie card should be as cheap as it is, you know, or Bob Gibson's, even though it's a high number, it's still undervalued, in my opinion. Uh, Jim Palmer, I mean, there's a ton of examples of it. They're undervalued. But, yeah, I mean, the everyday guy versus the pitcher. But... um you know, I think to be totally fair, from about, in my opinion, number two through six, they're all kind of interchangeable. There's not a huge gap in there. So it's just kind of where my preference fell. But I, I think if somebody had any of those five guys or so as their number three or their number two instead of Gwyn, like, I don't have a problem with that at all. Okay. Pitching is the current uh, of baseball. You got to have a great. You got to have good pitchers to win. And if I had to, re, if I could redo my vote, I'd probably put Gwen over these uh, the pitchers as well because you're one. You, one you, you, you suck up the Greg so much. No, no, not oh. at all. Not at all. Uh-huh. I love you, Chris. I knew I liked you. I've always liked you. <laughs> well, you know, picking somebody like uh, Kyle Ripken that played 162 games a year and then pitch, picking him uh, underneath a pitcher that played 35 games. It seems, it uh, seems I, I don't, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Um, uh, though these two pitchers that we're talking about are great, uh, great, great. But I think if I would redo it again, I'd probably have the everyday player ahead. Okay. Interesting. Hey, uh, Greg, defend your boy, Andrew. He says Griffey's overrated. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I agree with them. I think Griffey's overrated. See, here's what? the thing about Griffey. Here's the thing about Griffey. Well, let's, I, let's, wait, I... let's wait till we get to Griffey. Well, let's let's wait. Wait. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm loaded, man. I'm lo- <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I'm not loaded that way. I'm loaded Griffey stuff, man. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's let's get let's, All right. We'll finish up on Gwen here. And then, um, so let me just start with this, just so we don't have. Uh, you know, people people are going to be strong either way on this. Henderson and Griffey, this was the closest number one and number two card we've ever had on any of these decade shows. I think it's the fifth decade show. The reason why is because we have the three categories. So it, it made it very, very, very close. So at number two, it got three for quality of career, one for eye appeal, and one for importance of the hobby. The 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr. card. <laughs> Chris doesn't want to show it. <laughs> now we can talk about if Griffey's overrated. <laughs> so, um, if you guys want me to talk about how how he's not number one, I can. Um, a lot of it has to do with quality of career. Um, John had him at number four at quality of career. Greg had him at five. Chris had him at two, Jake had him at one, and I had him at four. So he lost a lot of points to Ricky Henderson when it came to a quality career. Um, so go ahead. Am I going first? Yeah, go ahead. So for me, um, Griffey was hurt a lot. 
in the second half of his career. In the last like 12 years of his career, I think he batted over 300 like once. Um, he had an incredible first seven or eight years. No doubt about it. He was incredible. But a lot of his appeal comes from he played with his dad. He's got a million-dollar smile. He's a good-looking guy. He wore his hat backwards. He played center field for a hot young team. You know, he has these highlights of catching the ball over the fence. Like, he's got a beautiful swing. He was very good, but he was very, very, very popular. He was, like, of that era by far the most popular guy everyone started wearing their hats backwards with the low the mlb logo right here and you know wanting their swing to look like his and he's just such a likable guy deservingly so um and he hit a lot of home runs but to me he just he's not quite as good and i think uh my boy <laughs> my boy i love that you call him my boy uh i love he's that he said up there andrew said he's like mickey mantle and i think that's a good example like mickey mantle was really good but willie mays was better but mickey mantle was more popular and to me that's how i see griffey griffey was very good like mantle was very good but he wasn't the best player other than for about five years he was the best player but but outside of that five year stretch, I don't think he was the best player. Well, let's actually, unless Chris is very loaded right now, I was gonna go to I was gonna go to Jake because he had him at number one quality career. Go to Jake does, first, but I would like to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake sure. does all his little in this club and that club thing. So I'd love to hear why he's number one when you have all these clubs. So go ahead, Jake. He has over six hundred home runs. He has over eighteen hundred <laughs> RBIs and ten Gold Gloves. Now, while I agree. I think Mantle is overrated. I do, 100% agree. I think Griffey blows Mantle out of the water in terms of milestones, not in quality in terms of peak because it's Mantle. But the milestones that Griffey hit over the course of his career blows him out of the water. Go ahead, Chris. So Griffey is probably the best young player or one of the best youngest players of all time, like Al Kaline at the age of 19, 20, 21 years old. And if the if if somebody should be angry about the usage of steroids in baseball, it should be Ken Griffey Jr. He would have he would have had most of most of the headlines, uh, having 660 home runs, and somebody. Somebody says, well, how do you know he didn't use steroids? That's a terrible argument because if he had 660 home runs, which is very comparative to, to the other guys. But look who got the headlines. Uh, you know, he they were able to recover after injury a lot. And that, and that can be said because Mark McGuire is the, a freak in nature. He had back problems from the age of 30. And missed a ton of games, you know, for about three years there. And then poof, he plays in 155 games a year. Uh, adding on, I don't know about you, but I didn't have I didn't have uh, back problems when I was 180 pounds. When I got to be 250 pounds, that's when I started having back problems. Mark <laughs> McGuire didn't have any back problems when he went to 250 pounds. I think that he he 
should be, you know, I think, I think all that stuff hurt him from being considered as great as he was. And he was, he, he was hurt a lot. If you look, he missed two and a half years because of injuries. Um, now, is he overrated? Yeah, maybe. But Mickey Mantle, I guess, is overrated too. But both those guys, if they weren't injured, you know, if they weren't injured, um, I don't think I would consider – I think their careers would have been much different. So but, so if we, if we look at the 90s, the 90s by themselves, you take out all the steroid guys, what position player in the 90s was better than Griffey? Sorry, say did? that again. Look at the '90s as a whole. What position player that didn't do steroid that didn't get caught for steroids well, is better I mean, than Griffey in the this, '90s? This is, but that to me, this is an impossible conversation because we don't <laughs> we don't really know who did or didn't do what. Uh, now let me just let me Sammy just. Sosa, Sammy Sosa did steroids, but he's for sure. I would agree. Griffey is overrated. Yeah, Brady Anderson did steroids. I would agree. Yeah. You know, Mark McGuire did steroids. I would agree. Barry Bonds did steroids. I think I would agree. Yeah. Roger Clemens did steroids. You know, we don't know Possibly. who did steroids. I think <laughs> I think a, one Royal player got caught with steroids, and he hit 11 home runs or something. You know, that's how dumb we are. We get caught with a guy that hits 11 home runs. But uh, I just I, – I think that's – I think that argument hurts somebody like Bear, uh, like uh, Ken Griffey Jr. So I just want to I just want to go on the record and make sure I clarify this. I'm not saying Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> wasn't a great player. I yeah. absolutely think Ken Griffey Jr. was a great player. One hundred percent, he was great. He had a beautiful swing. He was he was amazing in many many ways. I'm not disputing that. What the only thing I'm saying is I think that his likability factor and his charm and charisma and his smile and his good looks add to his sort of legacy more than just his his plane. So I I know that it's not a popular opinion to say that he's overrated, but that doesn't mean he wasn't great. I think that Mantle is the good comparison. And if you were to say pick one player, again, it's really, really tough to take too many stats or too many, you know, um, years uh, when we look at all the numbers and stuff from that era and know what's real and not what's not real. It's, it's hard to do that. So it's hard to say. But I will also say on the record, for about five or six years straight, he was clearing away for sure the best player for five or six years in that stretch after that things changed a lot so so and i i agree and i appreciate the fact i mean i understand i'm like that with uh, cal ripken but i believe if it wasn't for steroids in baseball he would be known as the greatest home run hitter of the 90s he would be he would be known i agree with that he would be known as probably the best center fielder in the nineties, he would, he would, he would have led the nineties in home runs, RBIs, and um, probably second or third in stolen bases. If it wasn't for, if it wasn't for steroid use and uh, that kind of stuff. So that's why I say he should be, he should be more mad because he would have won a couple more MVP awards that he didn't win. 
And yeah. you look at the, you look at the MVP awards winners in the nineties, American National League, and see which one that you see which ones you'll say that person's definitely didn't take steroids. That you know, and that's okay. why I say that's why I th- say he should be mad that the commissioner and and uh, and baseball coaches and everybody and reporters kind of took a blind eye. And even though I'm I'm glad I got to witness all that. I just think that, and and it could be also. I I could be more less upset about it if I didn't like King Griffey Jr. so much as a player. I I will let me let me even go so far in support of King Griffey Jr. is to say I think he had a six or seven year stretch that was as good as any six or seven year stretch by anyone ever. Like he was insanely good for that six or seven year stretch. Now, after that though, he, I mean, if you look at the last like 10 years of his career, he was not the same person. The thing about Willie Mays and Hank Aaron is the consistency over a long time or Stan Musial or a lot of these guys. Right. So, so I do think he's very good. I just, I just don't have him as number one. Yeah. But those, those guys though, uh, again, we got to do a thing on steroids, Greg. You and I, we, we you know, I'll do it, but it will be tough, man. It's but, tough. but you know, he, he fell off. He fell off as he got older. He played a lot of baseball. He was 19 years old when he got in the league, right? And he played a lot of baseball. He fell off naturally. Um, Bonds yep. didn't fall off. Here's right. here's all right. I'll just I'm just gonna rip off the band aid. Part of my concern is when guys were hurt a lot a lot of the time guys that would get hurt a lot it's because their muscle mass was greater than their ligaments that's why they would get hurt that's why they were always getting injured the fact that he was injured a lot at least puts into question to me that kind of seems in line with some of the other guys who were taking things i'm not saying he took things but with him, there's a, a little bit of a, of a doubt because of all of the injuries. You could make the counter argument that, gee, just imagine if he was healthy, like Hank Aaron was for his career, how many he would have hit 850 home runs if he just stayed healthy. You could make that argument too. But there's a little bit of doubt in me because of those injuries and the types of you know soft tissue injuries that they were, that part of me is like, well, did he maybe? That's but, part but again, of the the that. Huh? But, the, but again, the one that there leaves no doubt to me is uh, Barry Bonds took away some of the of of uh, his highlights or some of his recognition stuff. There's no sure. doubt when you go 25, 35, 40, 72, and then all the way back down. You know, there's no doubt there, and. And I just, I don't know. I just, I just, I'm such a, I'm such a historian or a a protector of baseball rules and stuff, but, uh, and, and records that I hate to see somebody like, uh, you know, Sammy Sosa. I mean, come on that, that, you know, uh, know, Bobby or Barry Bonds hit 72 home runs and then didn't get over 50 any other time. Sammy Sosa hits, you know, he holds the record 
for most 60 home run seasons. You know, it just, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's that, I, I don't know. I, I love Mookie. I love Mookie Chilson. I love the guy. <laughs> Yeah. And he said in there, oh, no, Greg, put the Band-Aid back on. I love that. That's, that's the comment of the night for me. I love it. Listen, when there's Luke a guy the that you man. love, and when I grew up, I, I mean, everybody loved Ken Griffey Jr. Everybody loved the guy. What is not to love? But there's a little bit of doubt in me. And there's a little bit of doubt in me for all of those guys. And if I'm going to be honest with you, the guy who's number one, I have doubt for as well. Look at the size of his hamstrings and quads. So it just, the whole thing makes me sick to my stomach when I think about it, that I have some doubt on most of these guys. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like, I, unfortunately, I turn a blind eye and say, if you got caught, then you did it. If you didn't get caught, you didn't do it. Because like you said, if you don't, Hey, if, if you don't look at it that way, then you're going to have doubt about, you know, t- too many guys in the, in the league. I don't know. That's just my opinion, but let's get to number one. So number one, uh, he got number one for career, number two for eye appeal and number two for importance of the hobby, the 1980 tops Ricky Henderson card. So, um, so I, Jake was the only one who had Ricky below Ken Griffey jr. So all this debate about Griffey and four out of five of us had Ricky Anderson's career better than Griffey's. Um, so Jake, do you want to, I don't know. Do you, do you have a debate why you, why you feel maybe Ricky Henderson didn't have as good as a career as Ken Griffey? Based on uh, past hall of fame rookie rankings, being the all time stolen base leader doesn't matter. <laughs> Lou Brock versus Joe Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Only if I, I would have had Ricky number one. I trolled uh, Chris and Greg on that one. Sorry. And John. It's all right. That's um, all right. You had Eddie Murray number one. <laughs> I did not have Murray number one. Does you did any- too, didn't you? I, think, I don't think I had him number one. You had him number I had him high. high. I had him you high. You had him over Mike Schmidt. Does uh? Does anybody want to talk a little bit about Ricky Anderson? Ricky love Ricky and I do too. <laughs> Ricky, I got to, hey, I got to see Rick, I got to see Ricky Henderson at the Strongsville show at the Strongsville Car Show last year, and he was uh, he was carrying in a bag of McDonald's breakfast. Believe it or not, a guy whose body you know he, he had he and he said he said he didn't. I want to say he said it this way, but he didn't. But he said the Ricky loves McMuffin. <laughs> I mean, you could. I mean, if you were to if you were to make an all time fantasy team, I mean, you want Ricky. You want Ricky at the leadoff spot. See, the thing about Ricky is he could completely change an inning by getting on first base. It would completely change the inning because the pitcher was so concerned with Ricky at first because basically a walk is a triple. I mean, he was that dominant and you'd get late in the game and Ricky would get on base and it was like, oh boy, he's about to be on third. If there's less than two outs, he's about to be in scoring position. I mean, he literally could change a game by being on the base paths. And that is 
unbelievable that somebody could have that much of an impact on the game, but that's what his tools brought. Ricky, Ricky was hard to like though. If you, if he wasn't on your team, I think, because I, uh, you know, anybody that talks about himself in third person is hard to like, um, <laughs> I love him. Well, Conseco and, does that. And, but you know, he's, <laughs> he, he also, he also stole so many, needless bases that uh you know the one that he broke the record on it, it, go back and look you know when he picks up the base and says now i'm the greatest or something um today i'm the greatest of all time I mean, today i'm the greatest <laughs> but he you know that was a needless base i mean there was uh, i don't know he stole a lot of he, he played on some great teams um and you know he's i i got uh, I got an argument with a friend of mine on an all, all on an all time team that said I got to choose an all time team, and Ricky would Ricky was his leadoff hitter, and my all time team with Babe Ruth was my leadoff hitter, and I just had Hank Aaron batting second and Willie Mays batting third, and you know just, but he is the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, and uh, you know he here's here's something to think about too, he was a left handed thrower and a right-handed hitter. Hmm. And there, I don't, with the exception of pitchers, I would like to know how many Hall of Famers were left-handed throwers and right-handed hitters. Because when I was growing up and when you guys were growing up and people growing up today, if you're left-handed, you're either going to be a switch hitter or you're batting left-handed, right? Mm-hmm. But there's not – one doesn't come to mind with, you know, I'm sitting there looking at his card, you know, and thinking, okay, Ricky's left-handed. He's left-handed thrower and he's batting right-handed. Yeah. You, just, you don't see very many of that. I, I just had a comment on that. I, I grew up with a kid that was a really good left-handed pitcher and he hit right-handed and it was a case where his older brother was right-handed and that's who taught him how to hit. So <laughs> so we you found the other one, the guy that the guy that the 3D 80s kid knows, and Ricky. Those are the two. <laughs> There's a lot of left-handed pitchers, uh, even when pitchers got to hit. I, I'm right. just saying how it can happen where he ends up learning the other way. Yeah. Well, that's how okay. Mantle learned to hit left-handed is because he mirrored his dad. You know, yeah. it's just like it's weird how you learn is what sticks with you. Sure. I actually know the answer to your question, Chris. Okay. Uh, I'm left-handed, so I researched this for the Hall of Fame. He's okay. the only one. Um, there are five pitchers uh, that threw left-handed, uh, but batted right-handed, which obviously doesn't really matter for them because they're pitchers. Um, but Ricky Henderson's the only Hall of Famer that that is the case. There you go. How many? How many Hall of Fame? How many um, World Series rings does Ricky have? Two. Two. I, I thought it was two. Okay. Two. So he has two. Griffey has none. Gwyn has none, right? Gwyn has none, I believe. Um, so that, that was something we didn't really talk about, you know. Uh, nowadays, I, it doesn't feel like World Series championships mean much to how good a player was. But to me, I think it should mean something. <laughs> it, it's not in baseball because it takes a whole team every time. It's like it always comes up in basketball because there's only five guys on the, the floor and it comes up with quarterbacks. Uh, okay, I mean, so that's the, 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 whole, the, whole, the whole Mike Trout debate. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, guys, this was a lot of fun. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, we went a little bit over, and we have 30 people still in the chat, so that's really awesome. Um, Chris, you look like you have something to say before we close. You got anything to say? No, not at all. I, th- I thought the 80s was more fun than what I thought it would be. Yeah. I thought I, I thought I was going to fall asleep during this live stream. So. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, the chat was a lot of comments tonight. Uh, thank you guys for participating in there. Um, thank you. I got, thank I, you. and I just want to let me throw this out there real quick. I got to tell the chat, like, it's a lot of fun for us when we're looking. Oh, I look over, I'm watching the chat the whole time. It's a lot of fun seeing what everybody's chiming in with. It, it, it makes it a lot more fun from our perspective, too. Yeah, I just did have one comment for Chris, though. I, I think you did fall asleep when you ranked Kirby Puckett card number one. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I, the only one that's, am I the only one that's been right on all five <laughs> or six of these shows? I just want to know. Did did Dawn make your rankings? <laughs> yes. Yes. Is that the most controversial thing of the night? No. Was, it one, or is it me? It was you saying Griffey's overrated, but <laughs> maybe, maybe Pocket at One was number two. <laughs> Again, I think he's great. I just think he's overrated. You can be both. Uh, uh, I'd say the same about LeBron. LeBron (laughs) is great, but LeBron is overrated. Can I say one of the last things? Okay, Uh you can. Uh oh. I just want to say I just want to say that Joe Morgan's so much better than Lou Brown. Oh, get out of here. Hey, uh, after after the Puckett comment, I do want to say one of my favorite comments of the night was that Wade Boggs was watching uh Yogi Bear at Chop Wood. So <laughs> that was dirty. That was so dirty. Well, uh, thank you guys out there who watched. Thank you to the panel. We are going to come back and possibly do the '90s uh, rookie cards. That should be interesting, and we could talk about if Derek Jeter's overrated. So uh, thanks everybody for watching, and we'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs>